0: you're listening to all the books a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases this is episode 166 and today we are talking about books being released on july 10th 2018 and more i'm liberty hardy here with jen northington and we're coming to you from bookriot.com Hello. Hello,
1: hello. It's very Monday at the time uh, of this recording.
0: We were just commiserating over <laughs> how very Monday our Monday has been. A, a comedy <laughs> of errors is what our <laughs> lives are. Yes. Um. Well,
1: we hope you are all having an excellent Tuesday upon the time of listening to this. And I have a thing that may make your Tuesday better. We are doing a YA giveaway. We're giving away $500 of the year's best YA fiction and nonfiction. And the books have been selected by Kelly Jensen, who is a former YA librarian and our current Book Riot YA expert. Um, And there is a full list of the titles included if you want to check it out. You can go to slash 500 YA giveaway. And that's 500 500, the numbers. Um, And that's also where you can enter to win. And the giveaway ends July 1st. Excuse me, July thirty first. So you should not sleep on that. You should go and enter and get a whole bunch of amazing YA books. Yes, I'm always so sad doing. I mean, I'm excited to tell people about these, but I'm also sad because I will never get to win any of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I feel the same way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But we still get to read a lot of books, so it's that's cool. right. It's true. We'd be, I have we'd nothing be like, to. What are we gonna do?
1: <laughs> I know. I have nothing to complain about. I have stacks of
0: books. <laughs> Uh, speaking of stacks of books, uh, I sprained my little finger. No. Um, trying to stop a stack of tumbling books and, like, this awkward, like, trying to catch them, push them onto the shelf and instead, like, pushed my finger between some books. <sighs> which is, like, a very liberty injury. <laughs> I guess when all you do is work with books, it's really the only things that are going to get you. That's probably true. (laughs) So uh, before I get started on my first book, I do just want to give a shout out to Catherine Long in Augusta, Georgia. She got the trivia answer correct last week in Book Riot Insiders when we did our All the Books chat. So hello to her in Augusta, Georgia. Sometimes when we're on our slack and I think about complaining about the heat, I remember that there are people on there who live in places that are much hotter than (laughs) where I am, (laughs) including like Rebecca and Amanda. So I'm like, I, you know, Augusta Georgia here is very, very warm these days. Mm So, um, hello to her. And now let me tell you about my first book because I am so excited about it. It is Clock Dance by Ann Tyler. Anne Tyler, I love her so much. She is one of my favorite writers. She's just consistently wonderful. She, this is her 22nd novel. She writes like one novel every, tw- every two years. So she's been doing this for 44 years now. She actually gave a, an interview in the New York Times last week, which she hasn't given an interview in a very long time. And she talks a lot about... Like, she has, like, imposter syndrome, basically. She talks about how, like, it took her a really long time to realize, like, she was a writer, even though everybody was, like, telling her. And, you know, writers, they're just like us. (laughs) I just, I love her so much. Uh, This book is about a woman named Willa. When the book opens, uh, she is a young girl. It's 1967. Um, She realizes that her mother has gone when she gets home from school. Um, it's a thing that her mother does. She's, her father calls her tempestuous, her mother. Um, but you, her mother's not, she, there's something wrong, uh, with her mom and, you know, she's very, um, emotional and they, she's just not getting what she needs from her marriage. So she takes it out on the children. You know, she's occasionally abusive towards the girls. Uh, Willa has a little sister. Um, she's very dramatic and so she's left the house, and so Willa is just thinking, like, this life stinks. Like, her dad's trying to pretend like everything is okay, and he's, like, trying to make them dinner and, like, burning stuff, and she wants to make him food, and it's not working out, and it's just these very emotional, um, like, uh, things going on uh, while she's waiting. Like, and her little sister's like, when's, her mom com- when's mom coming home? And she keeps saying, oh, she'll be here any minute, you know. And so then... It moves on to 1977, and now Willa is a young woman. She's in college. Um, she has a new boyfriend. She's flying home with her boyfriend uh, to meet her parents. Um, he's not great. You realize, like, as you're reading this, like, her boyfriend is not great. He doesn't react very well to a situation that happens to her on the plane that causes her a lot of panic and it should have been handled completely differently uh, and he just kind of brushes it off and so you know like going into this like he wants to announce to her parents that they're going to get married and you know going into it that she should not marry this guy but things happen at the house that you know firmly puts her on the side of marrying him uh, and then it moves to 1997 when she is a young widow uh, trying to figure out like how to handle everything that's going on what to do with her life And then to 2017, she has two sons. She's wondering if she will ever be a grandmother. Um, She's wondering what she's going to do with her life uh, when she receives a call from a stranger and sort of impulsively flies back to Baltimore, which is where she was from, to take care of some strangers. I'm not going to tell you who those strangers are. Uh, It's just part of the mystery and the charm. And her books are just so... Her writing is lovely. I find them very relaxing when I read them, even though sometimes they're very sad. Um, But, like I said, she's just so consistent and amazing. Um, I just, I I love her. Like, I always feel better when I'm reading one of her books. So, again, this one is called Clock Dance, and it's by Ann Tyler.
1: Nice. Um, I for my first book, I called dibs on *Spinning Silver* by Naomi Novik. I, I took it before Liberty could call dibs on it because I was really excited. Um, it's the next. Fairy tale retelling she's written, although it's not—it's—it's it's not actually a sequel or even a shared world um, to Uprooted, but it is similar in that it is also a fairy tale retelling. Uh, this book comes with a trigger warning for non-sexual domestic violence and child abuse on screen, and it's a pretty big part of the plot, and it happens repeatedly. So if that is a problem for you, you will want to skip this one. Um, and it's a really interesting book. I—I've read her Temerary books which are like dragons during the Napoleonic Wars Um, and I read Uprooted obviously and I really enjoy her work and I like this one I I like this one a lot even though it is to my mind very different from her previous books because I think that it is a bit darker and a bit also more timely is what I want to say than her previous books even though it takes place in like a medieval setting so what it is is about, uh, it's about magic, and it's about elves, but it's also about anti-Semitism and father-daughter relationships and recovering from trauma. And there are a bunch of different first-person narratives, but there's three main young women. Um, One of them is Wanda, who is a village girl with an abusive father. Um, The other one, another one is Miriam, who is a Jewish girl in the same village. Um, And her father has been lending money to the villagers, but is not Good at then, like, getting the money back, like getting repaid, getting the loans repaid. He just, he's too kind hearted and he just doesn't want, when he asks people, they're like, no, I'm not going to give you anything. And he is just like, okay. Um, and at the beginning of the book, Miriam's mother is sick and she's just like, we're going to, she might die if I don't get some money into the house. So she decides to take up the money collecting duties um, from her father and ends up being pretty good at it um, and starts to make, you know, like, make the family's fortunes improve just by collecting the payments that, you know, should have been collected all along. Um, but of course the villagers don't particularly love this. Um, so she's a bit of an outcast and she has made herself like a very hard young woman to do this thing, but she's doing it for her family. So you see her sort of struggling with this situation. And then there's Irina who is the daughter of a Duke, um, who is, basically a bargaining chip as far as her father is concerned. And, you know, she's not pretty enough, so she's not going to make a good match. So he's just trying to get her married off and kind of ignores her otherwise. And her stepmother is well-meaning but not really involved in her life at all. And the way that these three women, young women sort of intersect and the way their stories intertwine um, becomes more and more fascinating. There are, like I said, elves. Um, It's kind of like an Earl King, a play on the Earl King mythology. And uh, Miriam gets so good at earning money for her family that she like makes a boast that she can turn silver into gold and the elves hear. And she catches the attention of the elf king. And things go from there. It's hard to talk about this plot because there's so many different aspects to it, but that's sort of the base nugget, I guess, of it. I want to tell you so much more, but I don't want to spoil anything, and also we're on a timer. so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really I really loved it. I did have some minor quibbles with a certain aspect of the ending, but I think it's just because I was so invested in the characters that I had built up a whole headcanon, and then when that not turned out not to be what was happening, I was like, ooh, like, but I wanted it to go this way. So in my mind, that's a sign of a good, a well-written book. Like she made me care enough that I I was already writing the ending before it was even done. And um, yeah, so and the fairy tale retellings element, there's actually a bunch. Like I mentioned, Earl King, mythology, and then Rumpelstiltskin is a sort of an obvious one. And also the story of the juniper tree, if you're familiar with that one. You don't have to be familiar with any of those though uh, to enjoy and appreciate this book. It's really, it really does stand entirely on own. own um so yeah if you are a fan of fairy tale retellings if you're a fan of novik's work like i think people are going to want to check this out i think it's really well paced i thought the character like the writing of the different povs because they're all first person and it changes a lot was beautifully done like they all had distinct voices they all were very distinct characters and the the ways that she decided to employ different characters to tell different parts of the story was just excellent. Uh, so I loved it. I just loved it. But again, it's it's not, I don't think it's, I, I think it's something new for her, which I, I think is exciting. Uh, so that's Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. And do you know what you need if you live in the wilds of Pseudo-Russia, which these characters <laughs> do? <laughs> do you like my segue there? Y- yes. <laughs> is you need good socks. And <laughs> one of our sponsors today is Bombas Socks, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. Um, so after two years of research and development, they have re-engineered socks with innovations to make them way more comfortable. There is now the Honeycomb Arch Support System to provide extra support for your arches there's stay up technology to make sure the stocks stay in place but never leave a mark there's super soft cotton material to keep you warm in the winter but cool in the summer which is always key and the socks are also socks are the most requested item in homeless shelters so bombas donates one pair of socks for every pair they sell and they have donated over seven million pairs so far so that's amazing um i believe that liberty has some
0: pairs i do Yes, and I like them. I I talked last week about how I really don't like things on my feet, but these socks are winning me over. Uh, They're so comfortable. I particularly like the barely there ones because, you know, I don't like things on my feet. So, like, you can't even see them, like, in my sneakers. And it's like a million degrees and I have started exercising all the time. So you need socks in your sneakers. And my feet are, it's, they're amazing. Like my feet stay nice and cool. Like I'm a hundred percent behind these socks, you know, and I found that I have them on. Like I'll look down and realize I have them on after I've taken my sneakers off and I'm like,
1: ah, socks. Surprise.
0: Yeah. Like that's a, that's a good thing if I don't even notice that they're on my feet. Um, So I just absolutely love them.
1: Nice. So, you, all the books listeners, can get 20% off your first order if you go to bombus.com slash all the books and use the code all the books. That's B O M B A S dot com slash all the books and use the code all the books to get 20% off your first order. I'm actually in the market for some new socks because I'm going hiking in Ireland in September. <gasps> I know. What? Super exciting. Um, I do a four day walking tour uh, with a friend in Southern Ireland and I need new hiking socks, so might just slide over into that discount. Oh, yeah.
0: That's amazing. You're going to have to tell me all about that after we finish recording the podcast. (laughs) But I'm going to continue and tell you about my next pick and try not to take up the rest of the show talking about it. It's Indianapolis, the true story of the worst sea disaster in U.S. naval history and the 50-year fight to exonerate an innocent man by Lynn Vincent and Sarah Vladek. Now, I know that I've mentioned before that My favorite nonfiction book is probably In Harm's Way by Doug Stanton, which is about the sinking of the USS Indianapolis. This is that same event, um, but his book is, like, 15 years old now. There's all this new information, plus they just found the wreckage last year, so uh, I, of course, had to read it again. Um, And this was, like, a story I didn't know. Like, I grew up watching Jaws. I watched Jaws all the time. I did not realize that the story that Quint tells when they're on the ship about his boat sinking when he's in the Navy, is a reference to the sinking of the USS Indianapolis. USS Indianapolis was a huge ship that, during World War II, was part of the mission to help create the atomic bombs. They went out on a secret mission to deliver parts for a uh, little boy uh, to other people in Japan. Well, no, hardly anyone knew that they were out there, this giant ship. There were uh, 1,200 men aboard. Um, so... There were people at one end, like at Guam, where they were to check in, and there were people at the other end in the United States. There were, like, very few people who actually knew the ship was out there. Uh, So as they were coming back, they were torpedoed. They were hit with two torpedoes, and the ship sank in, like, 12 minutes. Uh, There were 1,200 men aboard. 300 of them died immediately. They went down with the ship. 900 men were tossed into the Pacific, where they spent five nights in the water. And because of mistakes on both ends, like, because they didn't check in, there was a mistake. And so they didn't realize, like, they hadn't checked in at this other place. And so by the time it was all over, only 316 men had survived. And the reason, like, this is so morbid, but the reason that I first heard about this was because I am fascinated by sharks. And sharks are a huge part of what happened to these men while they were in the water. Many of them lost their lives to sharks um and so it was just like it's unimaginable to think about what happened to them while they were there and the captain of the ship who was one of the people who survived he was one of the 316 his name was Captain Charles mcveigh the 3rd he was court-martialed it was the first time in the history of the navy that a captain had been court-martialed uh for losing their ship and he was convicted he was stripped of his rank he he wasn't allowed to do any of the things that he had been able to do before um, and it was just devastating to him and The fact that the captain, this was, like, after the war had ended, the captain of the Japanese submarine that shot the torpedoes at the Indianapolis testified in his defense, he said, that they literally just popped up in the water and there was this boat. Like, it wasn't like he hadn't been doing his maneuvers correctly. It wasn't like, you know, they had been making too much noise. It wasn't anything. It was sheer luck that they found this boat. And the men that were in the water with this captain... They, they testified on his behalf, and, and they stuck by their captain. They said it had nothing to do with him, you know, it wasn't his fault, but he still, you know, was he still was convicted. Um, and so for, like, three years, the families of these men that lost their lives, they sent him hate mail. He got these letters, you know, Ooh. telling him that, you know, it was his fault and, and all this stuff, and it went on for, like, three years until he died by suicide. And, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And for 50 years, the last 50 years... The survivors and you know people related to him have been fighting to um, exonerate him to like clear his name um, because they there's a lot of extenuating circumstances, a lot of information that wasn't brought forward, a lot of people lying about stuff and they the authors of this book they interviewed 107 survivors and eyewitnesses to what went on uh, for the story and make it uh, they deliver a clearer picture of, of what happened. Um, and it's just, it's very, I find the story compelling. I'm not entirely sure, like, what draws me to it, but, you know, there's so much drama and action and, you know, with heartbreak and it's just, it's so fascinating. So, if you're interested in history, if you're interested in military history, um, this is a great book. It's Indianapolis, the true story of the worst sea disaster in U.S. naval history by Lynn Vincent and Sarah Vladek.
1: Wow. What a story. I didn't know any of that. Um... Well, there are no sharks in my next book. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps there are emotional sharks, though. It is a very complicated and messy novel. It's The Occasional Virgin by Hanan al-Sheikh. And this is... This is such an interesting book. I, I I'm going to be thinking about this book for a really long time because it has. It's such. It's not very long, but it's got so much going on in it. Like I think it's yeah. It's like under three hundred pages, but there's a lot here. So which is funny because when you read the synopsis out loud, it doesn't sound like that much. So it's about two young women, uh, like who are in their mm, I want to say mid to late twenties. I don't remember exactly. Um, their names are Yvonne and Huda. And they are both from Lebanon. They have known each other since they were children. And now as grownups, they have kind of divergent lives, but they've kept in touch. And the book opens with them on vacation together in the French Riviera. Um, And there are, you know, they're like the biggest conflict at the opening of the book is that, you know, Huda is not a calm a confident swimmer, and Yvonne is, like, you know, a water baby, Um, and so it's, like, who's going to go in, and who's going to stay on the beach? Like, that's, like, the biggest conflict of the first chapter, Um, but there's also, they have very different sort of interests in terms of having men in their lives. Yvonne really desperately wants to settle down and have a baby and a family, and Huda is seeing somebody, but is just kind of not concerned about it Um, and so Yvonne is kind of like on the lookout to see if she can find somebody and she actually doesn't even care if she has a partner at this point she just really wants to have a child Um, so that is driving some of her interactions with the people they meet and then um, Yvonne is Christian and Huda is Muslim and they that kind of comes up when they go they meet up again in London after this vacation is over um, where Yvonne lives and Huda is working on a play and they are like I don't want to spoil anything but they have more interactions that like get kind of intense and strange um, and get very messy and very complicated and there's a lot of gray areas here. And the thing that al-Sheikh is sort of taking on is the hypocrisy um, that she sees in Islam around sexuality and women and men's interactions. And so that plays a big role in the second half of the book. And it is really interesting. I don't think that either of them is like quote-unquote unlikable. I just think they are women who are doing... How do I want to say this? They're responding to the pressures of their family and the pressures of their society in the best ways that they can, but those ways don't always look 100% great like when you make those decisions. So it's a really interesting look at these two very different women and their friendship and what they want out of life and how they're dealing with their family histories, which are different. Neither of them had super happy relationships with their mother or their childhoods. Um, And so, yeah, there's a lot about religion and 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 immigration also it's I mean there's so much going on here Uh, so I'm finding I'm still finding my way into talking about it as you can tell but I think it's a really interesting novel and I am going to be continuing to think about the different pieces of it um, for a while so again that's the occasional version by Hanan al-Sheikh
0: all right I have that to read. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I'm definitely going to check it out. My next pick is a very slim book. I loved it. It's nonfiction. It's called The Cost of Living. It's by Deborah Levy. I loved her novel, Hot Milk. I think I talked about it on the show. Um, This is just a little sort of slice of her life, her thoughts. She's talking about the end of her marriage at 50 and what it's like to restart her life or even... She kind of feels in a way to start her life, like what it means to start being the main character in your story when you have spent so much time taking care of other people. Like she had a husband and two children. Um, And at this point, like one of her daughters has just left for college and one still lives with her, you know, she's focusing on herself now. And she's like, what does that mean? And like, how do you restart in a new home? They decide the best thing to do is to sell their family home. Uh, instead of like one of them living there and the other moving out so now she has to move to a new place with her children and it's sort of like uh, the viewpoint of being a creative in this new situation Um, you know she has some thoughts on enduring love like what does it mean is it actually possible to sustain a relationship for that long and still have the same feelings and not change and you know, or change and still feel the same way about people. Um, she moves into this charmingly small but sort of decrepit apartment. She talks about, like, growing plants and, and redecorating. And, but, like, all of it is just so interesting, the way that she talks about it. Um, she moves into the writing shed of a poet that she knew and, and talks about what she does, while she, like, her work there and the different sights and sounds that she experiences. And she discusses some wisdom from other writers, about restarting your life and, you know, change and just really interesting stuff. Like I said, it's a very small book, but I just found it kind of, like, glamorous. I don't know if that's the wrong word to use when someone's like, my marriage is over, and I'm like, that's so beautiful. But (laughs) I just, you know, like, the way she writes about it is very interesting. And it's very interesting to me because, you know, I'm 42, and she's, you know, talking about, like, life at that age. So... I just I loved it. So again, it is called *The Cost of Living* and it's by Deborah Levy. Our next sponsor is *Our Kind of Cruelty* by Araminta Hall, which I talked about on the show when it came out. Woo woo! Came out from MCD FSG. Uh, Jillian, I can't talk. Julian Flynn said, "...our kind of cruelty is simply one of the nastiest and most disturbing thrillers I've read in years. I loved it, right down to the utterly chilling final line." And Charles Finch wrote in the New York Times Book Review that it is a searing, chilling sliver of perfection and may well turn out to be the year's best thriller. Our Kind of Cruelty is a spellbinding, darkly twisted novel about desire and obsession and the complicated lines between truth and perception. And it's Mike's love story, and if he watches Verity very closely, he will know when to rescue her. And I am very happy to learn, I was talking about this when I I read it and discussed it on the show, I'm very happy to learn that uh, those of you out there that have read it since then uh, did not find the thing that happened at the end to be the way that uh, I had read about online Um, because I thought that was really upsetting if that was actually, I can't tell you what it is, but it would be really upsetting if you thought it was that way, I think. So I'm happy to learn that most of you did not feel that it happened, but I need to read the book to find out what it is that I am talking about. (laughs) So check it out. Everybody loves it. AJ Finn, the author of The Woman in the Window said, it's a perfect nightmare of a novel as merciless as a thriller as I've ever read. Astonishingly dark and sensationally, sensationally accomplished. Uh, so, it's lots of fun. Again, it's called Our Kind of Cruelty, and it's by Araminta Hall. It is out now wherever books are sold. We'll have a link to it in the show notes.
1: All right. Not a thriller. My next book is a romance novel. It is A Gentleman... Does it have sharks? It does not have sharks. I wish mm-hmm. there was a shark theme, liberty. I really wish. One of my books has Ocean in the title, but I'm not right. at that one yet. But there's no okay. sharks in that either. Um, spoilers. Misleading. <laughs> uh, it is. It's false advertising. So, okay, so A Gentleman Never Keeps Score by Kat Sebastian is technically number two in the Seducing the Sedgwick series, but I never read romance novels in order, basically ever, and I came here to tell you that while it did make me want to read the first one and the next one. I was not at all lost um, to know what was going on. And this book also comes with a trigger warning for a reference to sexual abuse, but it is never on the page. Um, It is about a young man named Hartley Sedgwick, who is, he was basically a kept man um, by this older, entitled guy and that man has died and left Hartley one of his like his his one of his London townhouses um and Hartley is being shunned by polite society because it came out. In, through rumors, what his relationship with this older, I think it was an earl, um, ha- was. And that is obviously illegal in Regency England, which is when this takes place. Um, and so there wasn't enough evidence to actually send him to jail or be executed. But it's enough that polite society is, like, not going to talk to him anymore. And this is really gutting for him because he... Basically thought that once he became a gentleman, because he grew up sort of impoverished and, you know, didn't have money or, like, security, um, and this is all that he wants in the world, which is why he became a kept man in the first place. Uh, He thought that once he had money and was a gentleman, was considered a gentleman and was part of polite society, like, he would be protected from all of that, and that is turning out not to be true. It's really sad, actually. Hartley, at the beginning, you're like, oh, friend, like, you're, you're, you are, you are a sad person. Um, and he accidentally runs into, well, okay, that's not true. There, The other hero of the novel is Sam Fox, who is uh, part of the free black community in London, and is now a, um, he owns a bar and is the bartender, but he used to be a prize fighter. He used to be a boxer but he has retired and he has a very good friend named Kate who once posed for a nude portrait for this old now deceased Earl that Hartley got the house from and um, he promises Sam promises his friend Kate that he will try to find the painting and destroy it because Kate wants to get married but she's afraid that if the painting ever becomes public her husband will not like he he loves her but she's afraid it will destroy their relationship So Sam goes off to try to like break into the house to find the painting and runs across Hartley who's like what's going on here Um, and they form a very unlikely relationship and this one is interesting because I've only read one other Cat Sebastian novel I read The Ruin of a Rake which I really loved but I felt like that one was a little more lighthearted than this one this one like goes darker than I was expecting but in a really beautiful way and one of the things that I love about Cat Sebastian is that she is breaking so many sort of like Unspoken rules of Regency romance. Like, she's writing LGBTQ Regency romance, and one of her characters is black. Um, and neither of these characters is titled. Like, neither of them has a title, which almost always in Regency romance, like, you've got a Duke or an Earl that is the hero, or, you know, a young woman who, can, like, is gonna be a countess. Like, that's not what's going on here. Um, and it is really lovely how the characters play off of each other and come to trust each other. And Hartley has so much baggage because he was mistreated and doesn't like to be touched. And it's very complicated. It's also super explicit, just FYI. Like these sex scenes are very steamy. Um, but there's also so much emotional weight to this book. And like I said, I definitely want to go back and read the first one in the series and I will be reading the next one too. So that is A Gentleman Never Keeps Score by Cat Sebastian.
0: I'm going to write a romance. It's going to be A Shark Never Keeps Score and (laughs) it's going to be by Shark Sebastian. I would read that book. All right. Well, since I'm not doing anything later, maybe I'll do it then. (laughs) But first, I will tell you about my last pick real quickly. I just wanted to mention this because it's out in paperback now. It's Refuge by Dinah Nayari and it came out last year. I can't remember if we talked about it on the show, so I wanted to mention it again. It's a moving novel about the contemporary immigrant experience. It's about uh, Nailu. She uh, was a young girl when she and her mother and brother left Iran to go to America. They left their father behind. um, And it's sort of told over the four visits that she has uh, with her father over two decades um, and now she's living in Europe in a time when people are seeking refuge from all over the world, like in record numbers, and she's living with her husband, um, and she's thinking about where she's from. Like, like she wants to find her roots. She was very young when she went to America, and she wants to know more about her roots, um, but she has a, an interesting relationship with her dad. Like I said, she's only seen him four times uh, in two decades since they left, And but she wants to know, like, uh, you know, about what, what it means to have a sense of home. And she wants to help her father. You know, he's a dentist. He's Like I said, he stayed behind in Iran. Um, he's, his life is is not great. He's just divorced like his third wife. Uh, he has an opium problem. Um, you know, but despite all her misgivings about him, she still wants to take care of him and, like I said, learn about where she's from. Um, but also, like, her experience being an immigrant helps her um, feel close to a group of refugees that she meets Uh, where she lives now Um, and it's just this beautifully told sad um, lovely novel about what it means to call a place home you know like and to what it means to be a part of a community and alternately to be told or to feel like you never belong so again that is called Refuge and it's by Dinah Nayari
1: Interestingly enough, my next pick is a lot about the same things, except it's the time travel sci-fi version of that. It's huh. Yeah, I know, right? It's An Ocean of Minutes by Thea Lim, and I do have a lot of trigger warnings this week. This one includes sexual assault on the page, so keep that in mind. Um, but this is such an interesting book. Okay, so most time travel in sci-fi is either, like, to the far future, right? Like, you know, you're going into the future where there's, like, technology and things that we don't have and America's different or whatever, or you go, like, way back into the past. Um, this one, the time travel starts in, like, 1979 and or 80. Yeah, 80, and goes to an alternate 1998, which is such an interesting thing. Thing to have done, I think. Because... What it means that Thea Lim has done here in An Ocean of Minutes is that she has decided to sort of cut out all of the, like, techno stuff and instead focus on the culture and society shift that can happen in the space of less than 20 years. Like, what what would a jump of 20 years be like to a person? And the alternate 1998 that she goes to, that the main character Polly goes to, is terrible. Um... And the mechanism by which this all happens is that uh, the idea is that in the 1980s, um, a terrible flu was released upon the population. And... It just so happened also that time travel was discovered, but it was bounded by 12 years. So you couldn't go more than 12 years forward into the future at a time. And you also couldn't go back to before time travel was invented. So there's no way to fix the flu. So what the people, and of course it's the property of a corporation. So what this corporation is doing is saying things like, well, if you will go forward in time for us, we have we have needs for these kinds of people in the future, and if you will go forward in time, we will take care of your current day loved ones. Um, and Polly's boyfriend, Frank, has got the flu. So she signs up to go forward in time so that he will be saved, and they have this whole plan to meet up at this hotel in Texas. Um, when she gets there, like they've picked like, okay, Saturday is in September, like in, you know, but she thinks she's going to 1993 and instead they send her to 1998. So she gets there and America is completely unrecognizable. Um, she is in a part of America that is now a separate country from the United States. So like there's the United States and then there's the Americas. Um, And there's crazy border control, and there is—it's just like a weird indentured labor situation um, for meaningless, you know, resorts, and it's—it's nothing like what she's used to. And nobody will explain to her what's going on. They don't want to sit down and tell her all of the things, or they don't even register because they're not from you know, her, the past, which she is from. And so they don't even think to tell her some things. And she's just kind of fumbling around trying to figure this all out and also trying to find Frank. Um, And she's like, it's been 18 years. Is he still going to have waited? Like, of course he's waited. I've done all this for him. Because for her, it's been, you know, just like a weird, very short amount of time since when she left him. Um, But she knows that it's been so much longer for him. And so this is a book... That is about, you know, can love last across more than a decade of separation um, and in less than ideal circumstances? And then how borders can separate people as like geographic borders, um, what it's like to be an immigrant in a situation where nobody has any desire to tell you what is going on or the mechanisms by which you need to function in a society. And it is. There are no easy, simple answers here. It is again very messy. I feel like that was the theme of all of my books this week. It's like things are messy, feelings are messy, emotions <laughs> are complicated. Like that was the that was the overriding theme. Even though I picked such different books, like that was just kind of what they all ended up being about. Um, but I thought it was really well done. And it's definitely a, it's definitely dark, but it's also got sort of a gallows humor to it. Um, and it reminded me of well, I mean. Omar el Akkad has blurb this, and he is the author of *American War*. Um, Matt Johnson, who writes also really great satire, um, has is has blurbed it, and I think. I think maybe he was her teacher. She thanked him in the the acknowledgments, And it also has a little bit of Gary Steinger in that, like, absurdist way. So there's a lot of interesting things going on in this book. And I think it's a really amazing debut, actually. Like, this author writes, Theolim writes like she's written like she's written a bunch of novels like it's just very well done. So I yeah, not an easy book, not like a haha fun times one, but one that has its real moments of humor and also is just like an amazing thought experiment and has so much heart and heft to it. So that's an Ocean of Minutes by Thea Lim.
0: All right. Mhm. We made it. We did it. Despite the fact that it's the Mondayest of Mondays. <laughs> the
1: Mondayest of Mondays.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which is really unfair because we just had the Thursdayest of Mondays. Oh. Or the Mondayest of Thursdays, I should say. After w- the fourth last
1: week. <laughs> we basically had three Mondays in two weeks, which is yeah. deeply unfair. Deeply yeah. unfair. Yes. So mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. those were our new books. What are you gonna read next?
1: I have the sequel to Hunger Makes the Wolf, which is Blood Binds the Pack by Alex Wells, who is a contributor of Book Riot, but also an amazing author. I really love these books. They're the closest thing I've come to in a while for a Becky Chambers comp. So if you are one of those people who is obsessed with A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet and is looking for something that will give you similar feelings, um, I definitely recommend them. I'm really excited to read the sequel. What about you? (laughs)
0: Uh, Well... I picked up the first Alex Wells book on oh. your recommendation. I haven't read it yet. But um, I have just started... Uh, let me make sure I say this correctly, because it's a lot. It's Coma Madre by Roque Larriquay. Uh It is this interesting, strange, uh, little indie book from Coffee House. Uh So many people recommended it to me, so I've started reading it. It's very disturbing <laughs> and strange. Like, you know, that's something when I say that. Um, But it, it, like, takes place in two parts. I'm in the first part, which is, like, in Argentina in 1907, uh, a doctor who becomes involved in these experiments that are, like, investigating um, life after death. And then, I haven't gotten to this part yet, but apparently 100 years later, there is an artist who changes himself physically and becomes, like, his own art um, and like, the extremes that he goes to through... Yeah, goes to to, and puts himself through uh, to achieve that. Um, and like, I, I've heard like, it's scary and gross and weird and brilliant. And it's, I'm finding all of those things. Like, um, like for the part I'm at right now, I'm a little distressed, but, uh, I'm going to keep reading it cause it's so interesting. So there you have it. Mm-hmm. So that is it for today. Uh, you can drop us a line at books at bookriot.com if you want to let us know something. Tell us about how you're having a Monday. Oh, wait. No, it's Tuesday today. Well, you will have another Monday, though, someday. So don't worry. Um, you can find us online. I am Miss Liberty on Twitter. Jen is jenirl.tumblr.com if you want to check her out. Uh, and if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. Uh, thank you to our sponsors today, Bombas. You can find them, oh, I closed my notes, so that's no good. You can find (laughs) them by going to bombas.com slash allthebooks, and you can get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash allthebooks. And thank you to Our Kind of Cruelty. That is out from FSG Books. We will have a link to that in the show notes and as much as we would love to tell you about more books today we just don't have the time and i closed all my notes so you can read about more (laughs) titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter and in the meantime happy happy reading. reading